Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here for a brand new series that we're calling Choose Kindness, because here is the big idea right up front for all of us, okay? That I just believe that our world needs some more kindness right now. Anyone want to say amen to that? That our world could actually do with some more kindness, some more compassion, and some more empathy. And I just think that this really matters for all of us. It matters especially if you're a follower of Jesus, because as we're going to learn today, at the center of God is really this concept of loving, loyal, loving kindness, and that we're called to show that. I also think it matters today if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're considering or if you're just unsure or wondering about him, because I just believe that all of our lives are better when there is more kindness, not less in them. And so for this series, we're going to be exploring this concept of kindness and how we should be showing it, how we could be receiving it, and how especially we should be practicing it in actions with those around us. And so to begin, to begin, I actually want to talk a little bit about what kindness is. Because as soon as I say the word kindness, I think for some of us, uh, we might see this word as a little bit frail or faulty or feeble or a weak word. But actually, kindness is anything but a weak word. Because what you have likely experienced, and so have I, is that kindness, an act of kindness, this can actually change your day. This can actually turn your day around. This can actually leave a lasting impact that sometimes just a small act of kindness can really change the trajectory of your day. Whether that's like a free coffee or flowers or somebody letting you in line or for me, I love it when our counters are clean in our house or even just before we started filming this, I received a text from somebody that I hadn't heard from in a number of years just encouraging me. These small acts of kindness actually do make an impact. So I think what we can agree with at the top is that kindness does matter. And I want to give a definition of kindness. Okay, Wikipedia uh, defines it this way, that kindness is a type of behavior marked by acts of generosity, consideration, or concern for others without expecting praise or reward. Let me say that again. The kindness is a kind of type of behavior. It's not just an attitude. Kindness is actually linked to action, okay? by, um, marked by acts of generosity, consideration, or concern for others without expecting praise or reward. I hope that we could all just agree, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that our world could do with more of this, more acts of kindness and compassion and generosity without expectation of reward or praise. But here's the problem, or here's the, the difficulty, is that what we know is that kindness is actually disappearing in our world. This is what we know statistically, that kindness is actually disappearing. And I don't say this to you know, raise alarm or to cause fear, but I actually do believe that we should live in reality. And what we now know is that kindness is becoming more rare, less common, and less frequent. That there are social scientists and psychologists who have been doing long studies over decades and decades measuring kindness and people's uh, reaction towards things like kindness, empathy, compassion, all of those kind of concepts intertwined. And what they would do is they would ask the same questions over different periods of years. And uh, these are some of the questions they would ask, asking tens of thousands of people. Um, questions such as, I often have tender, concerned feelings for other people less fortunate than I am. Right? That's getting at that idea of kindness. Or I try to look at everyone's side of a disagreement before I can make a decision. Uh, again, how you uh, look at other people and whether you can practice empathy and sympathy and that sort of thing. But what uh, social scientists have been finding is that the average person in 2009 was less kind and empathetic than 75% of the people in 1979 which means that the average person today is less kind than over two-thirds of the people in 1979. That's a pretty significant drop in just 30 years. And I think this matters. Can we just agree that this kind of a drop, it matters immensely, and it's actually impacting us, and it's actually impacting the world that we live in, and it's actually getting a little bit more serious than just a drop in kindness. What uh, psychologists and social studies are also teaching us is that not only is kindness now more rare, 
But when we do practice it, it is sporadic, it is infrequent, and it's actually quite difficult. Jamal, uh, Jamal Jack, uh, Zaki, a psychology professor at Stanford, in his book, The War of Kindness, where I'm pulling much of this information, he writes this, that if you wanted to design a system to break empathy and kindness, you could scarcely do better than the society we've created. That right now, the society we're living in, it's just making it incredibly difficult to practice kindness. There are two things that are happening that is causing this. First, we have increased social isolation. And what they mean by that, psychologists, is that we are no longer participating in all these normal kind of social uh, connections we would have. Um, and this isn't related just to COVID. This is in general. That participation in like civic clubs, in church, in like groups, in bowling leagues, all these sort of things are diminishing. We're having less personal social interactions, and we're having more online interactions. But online interactions actually can short circuit our tendency towards kindness. And we're going to talk about that next week. But basically what this all means is that it's really difficult to practice kindness in our day and in our day and age and in our world. And I just think, while well, I have no stats on this, okay, I'm going to take a completely uneducated guess as not a psychologist or a social scientist, but I don't believe that COVID is helping the world to become more kind, okay? I just don't think in our current social and political landscape that magically people are becoming more kind in this world. But as I said, I believe that we need kindness. We need kindness so desperately in our world. Kindness is correlated to better life, to better careers, to better like everything. But here is the real, can we put it this way, maybe the, the hard edge for Christians is that so far this is all social psychology and all of that sort of thing. But really the hard edge for Christians is that kindness is correlated with the very heart and character of God. Let me say that again. That kindness is correlated with the very heart and the character of God. So what that means is, as Christians, we should be kind. As Christians, what people should expect from us is that we should demonstrate kindness all over the place. That even if kindness is disappearing in our world, it's becoming less frequent and more rare and sporadic, that should not be true in the church. Because Jesus Christ was kind, the heart of God is kind, and that our hearts are called to be kind as well. And what this means is, in a strange, kind of bizarre maybe silver lining to all of this, is that if acts of kindness are becoming more rare, what that means is when they are given and when they are done, they will shine more strongly. People will notice them and see them. And I think that this is what we are called to do as Christians. So this understanding of where kindness is at in our world, that it's dipping, that we're having struggles in showing it, I want to now move into explaining why it's so central, especially for Christians to be showing, how it is actually tied to God's heart with something called loyal, loving kindness. And so to explain all of this and explore this, we have to begin with what everybody's favorite thing on a Sunday is, Hebrew word studies. Okay? Now, now, if you haven't been to seminary in a while, here's what a Hebrew word study is. Okay? It's where you take a look at a uh, word, obviously in Hebrew for this case, and you would explore it really deeply. You try to dive into it and to understand all the contours, the nuances of a word. Because this is just true, that words actually have like color and shape and texture to them. Some words are like harsh and cold. Others are warm and inviting. And really, words have these boundaries of associations. What this means is that language is not static, objective, and clear all the time. So it's actually changing, right? And it changes for two reasons. One, your personal experience, and two, our societal constructions, okay? So for give you an example of this. When I say the word father, this word is instantly going to be influenced by how our, view, our world sees fathers, our society, our culture, and also your personal relationship or lack of one with the father, right? This is how language, it actually can shift and change. Words are a little bit slippery, to put it that way. This is why sometimes it's really important to really dive deeply uh, into words to understand what they are. Because what language does is it creates landscapes in our minds 
for us to actually think new thoughts. So when we learn new words, we actually have new mental shelf space for new imaginations and new thoughts. And what I want to hopefully do for us today is to give us a new Hebrew word that can help us to have a better imagination that is more biblically based about how God is, about what's at the center of his heart, and then what should be at the center of ours as well. And so what I want to explore today is a Hebrew word called hesed. Okay? Now, this word is one that is, it is notoriously difficult to translate. So what I want to do to help us understand some of the mental shelf space for this word is I'm going to read a number of different verses. We're going to be in Psalms and the book of Exodus today. And we're going to be kind of reading a number of different verses to try to give us some of the context of this word. But as I read these passages, I'm actually going to leave that word hesed untranslated because I want the context of the Bible to start to give some of the shape to it. I don't want our English modern-day associations to start to be the thing that drives this word. I think that this is a word we need to understand because it's actually one that God says is at the center of his heart. So I want to begin by taking a look at the book of Psalms. I'm going to read a number of different places where this word has said comes up. So we read this in Psalm 13, verse 5. Uh, the psalmist says, But I trust in your hesed, and I will rejoice because you have rescued me. In Psalm 6-4, we read, Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your hesed. Or we read this in Psalm 118, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His hesed endures forever. Psalm 43, 23 to 26 says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing hesed. Or Psalm 136, we read this, that God saved us from our enemies. His hesed endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His hesed endures forever. This is how the word is used in context. And that's the best way to start to understand a shape of a word, is to actually hear it in context, not simply associating it with modern-day English terms. Okay? And this word hesed, it occurs over 250 times in the, uh, in the Old Testament primarily in the book of Psalms, actually talking about what God does, about who God is, and about his actions, actually. Because here's your nerd insight for the day, okay? Beyond the Hebrew word study, here's your extra nerd insight for the day. There is no part of God, a part of his nature or his attitude, that does not become action, okay? There is no attitude of God that is not action. So what this means is that when God has an attitude of said, it must also become an action of said. The attitudes and the nature of God and actions are intertwined like uh, immeasurably. Austin Farrar puts it this way, God has no attitudes which are no, not actions. The two things are one. So this has said that is an attitude of God. It actually becomes an action, a deed of God in history. It actually becomes a part of his very character, his very nature that then outflows in his actions. And we see this really specifically in a classic text, text in Exodus 34. And here's what's going on in Exodus 34. The Israelites have just been freed by God's marvelous, miraculous power from slavery. But this is just true, that you can free somebody from slavery, but those categories can still shape you. We talked about categories last week and how sometimes they need to be broken and sometimes you need new frames of reference. So what's going on in Exodus 34 is that the Israelites have been freed, but really um, they're still being oppressed in terms of their frames of reference, of how they think of themselves and of how they're called to live. So in Exodus 34, God is giving them some new boundaries and some new guidelines, like the Ten Commandments, and he wants to share with them who he is so that they would know what to live into, into the new freedom that he has purchased for them. And in Exodus 34, what we see is God actually defining himself, of God naming who he is, of how he will relate to the, his people, about what is at the very heart of his nature. And I want to read that. 
Because honestly, if God is self-disclosing who he is, this kind of matters for us as Christians, right? If God says, this is what I am like, we should definitely be paying attention. Because as I said, there is no attitude of God that does not become action. So we're going to see not only God's heart, but how he acts in this passage. So I want to read to you um, from uh, Exodus 34. We said this, it says this. Then the Lord came down from a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord. And this is what uh, God starts to talk about himself. He says, uh, the God of compassion and mercy. The Lord says, I am slow to anger and filled with hesed and faithfulness. I lavish hesed to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Let me read to you as the NIV puts it, because this is important for us to understand. This is God self-disclosing his own heart to us, okay? The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and faithfulness, maintaining hesed to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so far, even in these passages, even though we haven't translated the word yet, because I want us to start to get some of the contours from the Hebrew and the Bible, not from our own English modern day stuff what we can start to pick out is just this. We can start to learn a few things from this word already, just from these passages. First, that hesed is obviously very positive. Then these passages, hesed is something to celebrate. Hesed is something that is good. Hesed is something to look forward to and even depend on. Hesed matters. Secondly, hesed is also clearly relational. And this passage we just read, it happens in the context of relationships, right? It moves through families. I will lavish hesed on generations. This is a relational, social, interactive concept. Third, hesed is active. We see this in this passage. That's something that God creates and does and moves with and has movement to it. Hesed is an active force in the world. And then lastly, hesed is also part of who God is. That's how he describes himself. He says, I, uh, the Lord, am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed and faithfulness. So the question then is this, is what does this word mean? Because so far, as I said, I haven't given you a translation for it. And the real reason that I haven't given you a translation for it is because, honestly, there is no good English equivalent to hesed. What I'm hoping to do is to give us some of that imaginary shelf space in our minds for a new word and a new concept that can actually shift and change some of our categories. That if, if you've ever grown up in church, you might have heard of the word um, in Greek called agape, and you know how it sounds a little bit different than our actual word that we use of love. I'm trying to do this uh, similar sort of thing with this word has said to give us some new shelf space to understand a crucial biblical concept that runs throughout the Bible of who God is and how he interacts with us. And so when it comes to has said, there are really three different parts to this word that I want to share with you to help us to try to understand it a bit more. First, has said has this idea of strength, actually. Okay, that it's a strong, powerful, forceful action. There is uh, a real uh, idea of strength in it. Okay. Second, this word has the idea of loyalty or steadfastness or covenant, actually. That it's really about this covenant, connected, uh, committed kind of a relationship. That's what's going on with it. That it's a strong covenantal word. And then thirdly, that this word has the idea of love or kindness, actually, with it. Of mercy, kindness, and goodness. The problem is, is that we have no English word that covers that idea of strength, covenant, and love and kindness altogether. That if we translate said as like love or kindness... Right? What can end up happening is it can seem almost sentimental and weak without this idea of the strength behind it. If we translate has said just as steadfastness or loyalty or covenant, we're missing the intimacy of the word. And if we translate it just as strength, we're also missing the fact that there is love and goodness with it that also really kind of pushes the boundaries of the word. This is our problem when it comes to translating it, is there simply is no good translation for it. This is why um, English translations translate the word said as mercy, kindness, loving kindness, love, goodness, kindly, favor, 
in many other different ways because there is no good English equivalent to this word. So here's what has said is um, kind of at the core, okay? Has said our covenantal actions done in a relationship to promote it, to protect it, to preserve it, and to provide a flourishing for that relationship. That's what has said is. That's what it's about, okay? It's about covenantal actions done in a relationship to promote it, to protect it, to preserve it, and to provide a flourishing for that relationship. Right? And so to give you maybe a modern-day example of what has said might look like. Here's probably the best one I can come up with because our modern day doesn't really have these categories. That's why we're talking about this word so much to try to shift some of our categories. Okay, a modern-day example of what has said might look like is what you might see in really, really great and amazing parents. Okay? The really, really great parents, what they do is they not only have love or sentimentality or affection towards their kids, that love is then coupled with self-sacrifice, with action, with availability, with the desire to protect and preserve and actually to see their children flourish. When you think of really, really great parents, it's not only then love, there's also a covenant, that there is a commitment to them for a lifetime that goes beyond uh, really just momentary kind of being there for someone. It's really this long-term covenantal relationship. And there's also this idea with really great parents of strength, that kids can depend on their parents no matter what's going on. That when you think of really good parents, these are the kind of things that you see within them. Right? This is what Hesed is about. It is about this covenantal, long-term, loyal, faithful, kind, generous, compassionate love that is always enacted towards another person right? in the context of relationship with self-sacrifice. And the problem is, is that there's honestly just no good English word to cover this concept of Hesed. This is why in Exodus 34, throughout the, uh, throughout the years and the decades, actually, English translations have changed, okay? So for example, when it talks about hesed uh, in, English, in Exodus 34, in the late 1300s, this is how that word was translated. It was translated as steadfast love, okay? In the early 1600s, it was translated as goodness. In the early 1860s, it was translated as kindness. In the early 1900s, they used two words, loving kindness. Uh, the NAS NASB in 1960s translates hesed as faithfulness, and the NIV uh, in the 1980s translates this as love, and the NLT, which I generally really like for its ease of reading, translates it as unfailing love. But all of those concepts fall short because we need the idea of covenant, of strength, and kindness all combined together. This is why, if I have my way to translate hesed, here's how I would translate it into English for us today. I would translate it as loyal, loving kindness. That that's at the center of God. That that's at the center of his heart. Because that's what he says. That at his heart, he is a God of hesed. He is a God of loyal. That's that faithful. That's that committed covenantal loving kindness. That's that generosity and strength and care that he has for you and he has for me. That at God's heart is hesed. That at God's heart is loyal, loving kindness. Or as he puts it, he says that I am filled with hesed and faithfulness. I lavish hesed to a thousand generations. That's who God is. And here's why I think that this matters. Because if this is at the heart of God, do you want to know what this means? It means that he has this heart for you. It means that he has this heart for you. Because remember, there is no attitude that does not become an action in God. So if this is at the heart of God, this is how he is relating to you with hesed, with loyal, loving kindness, with a faithfulness to your flourishing, to your protection, to your preservation, that he is active in seeking to give you goodness, kindness, all that you need. This is God's disposition to you. This is God's posture to you. This is God's heart towards you. And as Christians, we should know his heart, that his heart is full of hesed and loyal, loving kindness for his people. And I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me, that I need to know this. This is the foundation I need to build my life on, that God's heart towards me and towards you and towards his people is loyal, loving kindness, 
has said, faithful, kind love and generosity to you, me, and his people. As I said, here's why I think we need this so desperately in our world, okay? Because right now, right now, I think you can probably all agree with me. Right now, our world is a little bit uncertain. Anybody else feeling that? Like, it's a little bit shaky. Like, there are announcements and more announcements about announcements, like restrictions and all sorts of things that are changing all around us all the time. I find it difficult to even plan for, like, the end of April, because who knows what it might look like then. Our world is incredibly uncertain and full of shakiness, and it's just difficult, right? But here's why I think that today we need to know that our God is a God of Hesed, because this is the one sure foundation that you can build your life on. That no matter what else is happening in the world, no matter what else is going around us, no matter what the situations you might encounter, what we know biblically from what, who God says that he is, is that he is a God of loyal, loving kindness. This is a foundation you can build your life on. This is a promise that you can keep. This is something that you can actually move forward with because this will never change. This is who God is. This is what he says. He is himself. He says, I'm a God of said of loyal, loving kindness. And this is a God. This is a God we can count on. This is a God that we can depend on because that's what said is all about, that covenantal strength combined with generosity and kindness. So what does this all mean for us today? Why did we do like a long word study in Hebrew of all words you know, on a Sunday morning? What it means is that God has loyal, loving kindness for you and for me, that God has said for you and for me. It means we have a foundation that we can build our life on full of God's loving kindness. So what's my main point this morning? My main point is really clear, is that our God is a God of hesed, okay? Or as I translated, our God is a God of loyal, loving kindness. And as I said, I think this is something that we need. I think this is the foundation we need to actually be building our life upon, that when everything else seems shaky and uncertain and uh, just so difficult, this is what we can rely upon, that God has this heart towards you and this heart towards me. And yes, Yes, this is an Old Testament concept and a Hebrew word, but that idea of hesed and God's loyal, loving kindness is also throughout the New Testament as well. And we saw this demonstration of God's loyal, loving kindness uh, almost perfectly, actually I would say perfectly, last week. Because what did we celebrate last week? It's Easter, right? It's Jesus' death and resurrection. And what I want to say as clearly as I can, that when God chose to send his son to earth so that he might die for our sins, this is an act of hesed. This is an act of loyal, loving kindness. This is God actually being so committed to us, so committed to creation, so committed to the world, so covenanted with us that he is going to do all that he can to make sure that we are included and freed and that we might be whole and healed. This is self-sacrificial hesed. That when we look at Jesus' death and resurrection, this is a perfect example of what said and God's loyal, loving kindness looks like in action. This is why I said we can actually build our life upon it, because not only does God say it in Exodus 34, but he proves it with his actions, with Jesus' death and resurrection that we celebrated last week. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple, that our God is a God of loyal, loving kindness. And obviously then, obviously then, this is where I wanted to start if we're going to have a series on kindness. Because in a world of disappearing kindness, you want to know what's not disappearing? Kindness in the very heart of God. This is the foundation we can build our lives upon. And I think that we need this. So obviously, if our God is a God of kindness, you know what I'm going to say next, right? That Christians need to be a people of kindness, amen? Right? That if our God is a God of loyal, loving kindness, we have to be kind people, or I can put it even more strongly, that kindness is the evidence of the activity of God in your life. Okay? That kindness is the evidence of the activity of God in your life. That when we are connected to God and when he is moving in our life, we actually show kindness because it's a fruit of the spirit and it's a part of God's very heart as well. And so in a world where kindness is becoming more rare, more infrequent, and more sporadic, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to actually have the heart that God does, a heart full of hesed and loyal, loving kindness. So the question is, the question is then, 
How do we live this out? How do we actually practice kindness? Because it is needed in our world. Our world is a better place when there is more kindness, not less, right? So how do we practice this? How do we actually live this out? Well, obviously, today, uh, we're just kind of starting this series. Uh, next week, we're going to be taking a look at some practical applications of how to show this has said from the, uh, from the book of Proverbs. And then we're going to be taking a look at Jesus' life and how he actually models this as well. And so we're going to be getting really practical in those two uh, sermons. But for today, today, for us to be able to practice kindness, because that's going to be my challenge, for us to practice kindness, to be kind, to show that loyal, loving kindness to our family, friends, and neighbors, and the community around us, my challenge to actually start this practically is just this, that before you can actually give kindness, you need to receive kindness. I want to say that again, that before you can actually give kindness, you need to receive kindness. That I believe that before we can truly become kind people, we first need to receive uh, kindness from its source, which is the heart of God. That there is no way for us to show kindness at a depth that will change the world and impact those lives around us unless we are receiving it first from the very heart of God. Now, I have no um, you know, stats on any of this. But my guess is, is that perhaps the reason that kindness is actually decreasing, becoming more rare and sporadic and less frequent in our world isn't just the fact that our world is broken and sinful. Perhaps the real reason is that we're no longer receiving kindness from God, so we have nothing to show. We have nothing to give, right? This is kind of what Jesus gets at when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That if you don't have something within you, you can't actually give it out. So my challenge for us today is just really simple. I want to challenge you to receive kindness, love, that loyal, loving kindness from God. That's my challenge for you. Would you first just receive that loyal, loving kindness from God? Because I believe that there is no action that we can do without first receiving from God. Because Christianity is all about grace. It's about beginning in that space. So I want to challenge you, would you receive from God? And the way to do that, I want to challenge you just to sit with God this week. Spend some time with him. Do some things that might help you to connect with him. Maybe that's like put on some worship music. Maybe that's, you know, lighting a candle or going for a long walk or whatever. What I want to challenge you with is just this. Would you sit and would you receive kindness from God? His has said, his loyal, loving kindness, so that then we might have something to share with those around us. I want to challenge you to really take some time out of your week this week and to just Spend it sitting with God, connecting with him, and really receiving from him. And even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you to do this as well, because I think we could all use with more kindness in our hearts and in our lives so that then we might have something to share. So that's my challenge for us. Our main point is really simple. It's that our God is a God of said and kindness. And then my challenge for us is to practice kindness by first receiving it from him. So would you sit with him and spend time and receive from him? And if you'd like something to help you focus in a little bit more, I'd invite you to actually to just read Psalm 118, 1 to 6, multiple times. That if you're sitting with God, let this kind of center your heart and mind. We read this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all of Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who hear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is with me. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? And just as a reminder, and you probably guessed it, that whenever you read uh, his faithful, unfailing love in that passage, that's not what that word is. That's the word has said, his loyal, loving kindness. So I want to invite you to really just get centered in on Jesus and God and his heart and receive from him so that then my challenge is for us to practice kindness this week but it begins with receiving because it always begins with receiving. And then we can go out and share what we have received from our God with those around us. So with that, would you join with me in prayer this morning? God, I pray. I pray might we receive your heart today. 
Might we just sit and actually be in your presence and receive the kindness and that loyal, loving kindness that you have for us. I pray, God, would you fill our hearts with your heart and your spirit. I pray, God, would you just fill us with your Holy Spirit so that then we might share your goodness and your love and your kindness with those around us. I pray, God, that before we try to take a step into being more kind, we would first receive that kindness from you and that you would work in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. I just pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And so to close today, we want to give you some of that space to actually just sit in the presence of God, to receive from his heart, his heart that has said for you and for me. And so we're going to be sharing and singing another song. And I want to invite you to really use this time to connect with him, to receive from him, so that then we might continue to share his heart with those around us.